You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Now check this out. So like every good American, I know that in the spring, we set our clocks back. Right. We don't spring forward, we fall back in the spring. So this, I set all my clocks back last night. And I'm, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm, I'm, I made myself stay in bed because it's too early to get up. And I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm up at 4.15 every day. And I'm looking at my watch. It's 4.30, and the sun is up. I'm like, that can't be. It cannot be. And when I finally walked downstairs, it was 7 a.m. And I'm like, what happened? And I'm like, what an idiot. What an idiot I am that I just blew all that time this morning that I could. I, mean, I was laying in bed for like 11 hours, it seems, I think. <laughs> You know, because I went to bed at nine o'clock last night. Yeah. Actual time, nine o'clock last night. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, holy cow. So I was behind today. I had so much stuff to do. I I had to go buy a a laminator. I'm I'm putting on this big simulation where we're doing, um, I'm making the kids, uh, I'm setting up a a skiff in my classroom. So I've done that today. I'm making all the kids check their phones when they come in. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Beth made them ID badges that say CIA uh, field agent on it. So all the kids get a badge, they come in, and we're going over all the U-2 photos and the human uh, analysis from the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I mean, we're doing Cold War stuff. So I'm doing this for two days, and I'm, I'm just I'm going to run it like I'm the director of an intel center. And I've got I got stuff up all over the board, and, and I've got maps thrown up. And, and they've got these packets that these CIA agents, when it was declassified, they put this lesson together. So it, it's cool, man. You open it up. And there's real intel, real stuff from guys in Cuba that were unvetted sources. And it asks the students to, to make that, you know, weigh that. Hey, this isn't, you know, what level is this source? Can we trust them? How many reports do we have? And then the YouTube photos start to corroborate it. Broken into different teams and we have to start sharing information. So I put a lot of time into that today. Sounds and awesome, then, man. I need to come to your history class. This sounds when I, awesome. When I, well, when I wrote you, the big windstorm came up, and I just went to put everything, put all the name tag or all the badges out on the tables, because uh, I'd been there earlier today to make you know conference tables in a room and everything. And I, I guess the wind blew some badges out of my the bag I was carrying. I found one, and then I, I sent Beth a note because she was making them all. She was making all the badges for me, and I'm like, hey, I'm missing badges, and I found one on the ground, and you know now I feel like I'm a now I've lost, really, if this was real classified badges, <laughs> yeah, I'm a turd, good. man. I'm going to jail. So, <laughs> I'd so, see you on the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> Read about you. Hey, Fiona, I figured we'd just jump right on in. So let's see. You were a commissioned officer, and you had some command time. And then all of a sudden, this whole thing with the pilot program came up, I guess, with CID. <laughs> or is it that there's no commissioned officers in the CID area? What made you all of a sudden want to go warrant officer? Um, so historically speaking, there are no CID or there, excuse me, there are no commission officers performing in an investigative function within CID. They typically hold leadership positions. So you'll see commissioned MP officers at the battalion command level and at like the group command level, but not as investigators or as SACs of offices. So, I mean, like the story for how I ended up going this route, um, I mean, I loved being a commission officer, but I will say that when I joined ROTC, I knew that I wanted to go military police. I actually add so, so I committed three extra years in order to be guaranteed military police, not knowing that commissioned officers do not perform any type of investigative function and that their law enforcement activity is actually really just as a platoon leader. If you're lucky, you get to work 
as a as a watch commander but really it ends there and then after that you'll go the xo route and then command and then pretty much staff until you're until you get out or until you're for the opportunity to become a battalion xo or a battalion commander wow those are very very small there's not a lot of opportunities in that no there aren't so i didn't know this when i joined rotc i thought i was going to be you know doing law enforcement and pursuing my dream and uh, unfortunately that was not the case i mean i was able to work as a watch commander for a few months when i was stationed at fort bliss that was my first duty station and then it pretty much ended there i left there completing 12 months as a platoon leader and my last couple of months, I was kind of dual hatting as uh, an XO slash platoon leader. And then I PCS to Fort Lee in Virginia, where I was an XO of a detachment out there for about a year and a half and then took command. So this whole time I was getting further and further removed from actual law enforcement. And it's not that I was upset about that. It was more I was you know, trying to figure out how best prepare myself for a career in law enforcement investigations outside the military to get to where where my passion was at that point. Yeah. And then this program came out. There were there were other things along the way that I um that I had interest in and that I passed up for family reasons as I, I have a child. Um, but then this came along and it was like the clouds opened up and it was like ah. <laughs> And it was exactly what I had wanted this entire time. Wow, so that's a pretty amazing story, though. So you go in, of course, your passion is always to do some kind of investigative work. And then you go into MPs and you find you're really going to be commanding or doing more administrative type of work. I can totally see where that bum you out. Yeah, I mean, I had a great experience overall. Um, when I was stationed at Fort Bliss, we did just mainly rotations in preparation for deployments. So I spent the vast majority of my time in the field going to NTC, and then Fort Bliss has its own version of NTC called Iron Focus. But again, limited law enforcement interaction at that point. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to Fort Lee, their sole mission is law and order operations, but they do not utilize commissioned officers to perform watch commander functions. So I had no, no opportunity aside from ride-alongs to really do anything law enforcement-wise at Fort Lee aside from the operational perspective. How many other people have you found kind of in the same boat as you? I mean, you said you're in a class right now, so did all of them come to this realization at some point? Yeah. Really? Yes. So we all have pretty much the exact same story. We have a few um, students within the class who used to be police officers on the civilian sector, and then went OCS, joined military police corps, again, thinking that they were going to get back into that law enforcement function with the military twist coming to realize that really that's not at all their the path that their careers would take and that again as you progress in the officer realm you get further and further removed from those law enforcement functions was there ever a time where you met with branch manager or anybody that said okay this is what you're going to be doing in military police you know you've kind of been slotted into this this is going to be your background blah blah blah. you know what i mean it's like you just kind of walked in not knowing anything about the mos i guess i mean I knew a little bit of, I, I knew essentially that military police, the way it's advertised anyways, like law enforcement sure. for the military. But what's less advertised is what the officers do. They'll mm-hmm. tell you all about I was gonna what, say the what the enlisted side can yeah. do. So yeah. the investigations, uh, the working dog handlers, all the cool stuff really. But they, they kind of leave out the whole officer portion, but it's my fault for being ignorant to that. I should have really delved into that more. 
But at that point, I just really wanted to be in the military in general, so I wasn't too upset about it. <laughs> yeah. So it is going to be kind of odd for you, though, to go from being an officer to now saluting officers. That'll, that'll have to be Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. It's a little awkward at first, but, I mean, it is what it is. It's the military, and every right has its place. Don had the opposite effects. He had to be an enlisted soldier, and then he had to turn around and be the officer, the guy. <laughs> It's a nice change, yeah, I'm sure. The initial part, it was, but the initial couple years was was a, a, almost a step back, you know, because as an E-7 going over, you know, those guys are 22 years old coming out of college, commissioned, and in, and that's it, your peers aren't, they're not really your peers, so to speak, in your, when you get off work and you're off duty time, and but... So that was a that was a bit challenging. Yeah, that had to be quite a shock for you, Don, considering that here you were already what probably in your late thirties or so, mid to late thirties at that time frame. I was in I was in the early thirties at yeah, the time, early, but it's, it still was it was still a uh, significant uh, change. But what I found was, you know, in the beginning, guy coming out of college versus that summer first class, there's a big there's a uh, a big scale. But after platoon leader time. After an ex- executive officer, some staff time. By the time you get back to the career course, it, it really it, the field levels out because you're, again you're doing you know this is what you were good at for 12 years and you're still at that platoon levels so you've got that mastered. But then you're learning all of the other uh, things that go well beyond the platoon and company. So it, it levels out. I have a friend who was a uh, military police and he's on the commission side and he basically gave me the breakdown of of how that works is that he got, you know, again, an XO and he was uh, a, a company commander. And he said, even at the company command, an MP company is so different than the company of a infantry or, or armor type thing. He, he had a first sergeant, but then he also had like a master sergeant that was, so he had two E8s in his company. And and after that, if you're not on the, then when you're there, you're not selected for battalion. He got a lot of division time. Yeah, that's another area in which they'll send, they'll send you to division staff. Right. So basically, he, he helps the G3 figure out how to, you know, keep the flow of traffic on post at a minimum. In, <laughs> yeah, a, in, a, in a nice roundabout way, that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> basically, I, I'm sure his job is probably just explaining to that division staff how to best utilize the MPs on the installation. <laughs> right. And he also, you know, they picked up because he was, as a captain... He had just taken command during OF one. That changed the whole ball. That that was a whole new ball game now because now there actually is an FN that talks about what the military police do as they get attached to these different units. So, so in our field rotations at Fort Bliss, we were attached to Fourth Brigade for under the First Armored Division, and that's who we did the Iron Focus field rotation. That's who we went to NTC with. And a lot of the commanders they just didn't know how to utilize us. They wanted to use us just purely for base security, utilize us for our trucks, not knowing that there's other things that we're capable of doing. So part of our job is to educate them on our other functions that we have, not just securing their little their little fob. <laughs> so tell us about how how it's going to be different. You go in the CID route and go in the warrant officer route, obviously, for criminal investigation. How is it going to be much different? And what do you see yourself doing in this, how the warrant officers fit in with that as well? So traditionally speaking, setting aside this program, within CID, you'll have enlisted who transition to CID and become case agents. As they progress as case agents, I believe you have to have, and I might be wrong on this, two years 
of case agent experience within CID before you can submit a warrant officer packet. Then at that point, you submit your warrant officer packet, you go to walks, you go to CID school, and you come back as a warrant officer, and then you're expected to fill the role of a team chief. So managing other case agents within whatever sector you're working, whether it be general crimes or special victims, economic crimes, drug suppression. So you'll have a team of agents falling under you. The complication with this particular program is that we don't have, none of us have any kind of investigative experience within CID. So the way it's unfolding is that we're coming out of this program as warrant officers, assuming a position in theory of a team chief without having those years of experience as case agents. So the way it's working right now is that after we graduate the warrant officer basic course and we go to our respective duty stations, whether you're enlisted or warrant, you have the one-year apprenticeship period. And then during that time, you're evaluated on a monthly basis by um, your team chief, your SAC. They're providing you feedback on things that you need to work on and whatever else. You're kind of, I guess it depends on what office you go to, but for the most part, you do like little rotations on each team, getting to experience a little bit of um, each different type of investigation that you'll encounter. And then after that time, then you would uh, assume the role of a team chief and progress from there. Yeah, I can see how this is kind of messed up because typically you'd find the route of being an enlisted soldier spending seven, ten years or so on the investigative side of the house, then going to become a warrant officer. So you're jumping right in. You're going to have to do a lot of shadowing, I guess, for that year. I mean, that's going to take a lot of, yeah, you've got a lot of catch up. A few of the students prior to coming here were able to intern at their former installation CID offices. So this wasn't entirely new to them. They were able to spend a few months or how, or for a couple of them longer than, longer than that, um, just shadowing the agents at those offices, kind of picking up on the paperwork and interview techniques and other things that are going to benefit them in the long run. Um, Using myself as an example, um, when I first applied for this program, that was the intent. Um, My commander at the time had agreed to let me go over to the Fort Lee CID office and shadow some of the agents there prior to attending school. And then I took command, and obviously I can't be out of the office three days a week at the CID office when I have a detachment to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you basically are coming in totally blind to this whole situation. You're learning more of the school side of it. And now you're going to have to apply that. Yeah. I can see where that's going to definitely be a challenge. What is your passion yeah. when you do get out of the service? What's kind of the goal that you have? So the overarching theme here, just law enforcement and investigations, I guess just the, this is kind of like a cliche, but the whole time I was in the military. So over the last four years, and even before that, it was mostly just whatever, I wanted to pursue is to do something just bigger than me and to like actually make a tangible contribution to society. So joining the army was the first logical step. Yeah. And then when I was in the military, like in my last duty stations, I just, I felt like I wasn't contributing to like a greater picture. Like I was doing my job and I was doing it well and I was having a good time doing it and I was learning a ton But I kept asking myself, like, what is this doing in the long run? Like, how am I helping people? How am I contributing? I'm going to the field over and over and over again. Like, what am I really doing here? And I didn't have the sense of fulfillment that I thought I was going to have. And uh, 
my long-term goal was always to get out of the military eventually and go federal law enforcement, or at least try to. And then um, as my time at Fort Lee was drawing to a close, I was on USA Jobs looking to see what was available on the outside. And everywhere that I was looking required, you know, three to five years of investigative experience to even be considered (laughs) for, uh, for hire. And going the traditional officer route was never going to garner that kind of experience. And realistically speaking, you have, you know, captains who are getting out right now with four, five, six years of experience in the military and maybe a deployment here or there, but even those nowadays are hard to come by. And unless you've done something specialized as an officer, you know, had a unique opportunity here or there, you're like a dime a dozen when you're filling out those applications for hire. I mean, like maybe eight years ago, that's what employers were looking for. Commission officers who came out as captains that had that company command time and those managerial skills that everyone was looking for. But nowadays everyone's getting out and you have nothing really unique to offer. So when this came about, not only was I finally gonna be able to do something that I felt was going to help other people and really give me that sense of fulfillment. But I was also in theory gonna be garnering that experience that if I do choose to get out of the military, I can actually utilize that on the civilian side. No, that makes total sense. And typically what we end up finding is a lot more people don't come to the realization that you did now until they're way further past the point of no return. And what they end up doing is discovering as they get out what you found while you were still in, you went out and searched USA jobs. You started realizing that you're not following your passion, your dream. You started realizing you're going to have to make a career change. And boy, did you make a drastic one going from commissioned officer now to warrant officer route. And But you, you did this because you want to fulfill what you saw as a passion. And typically people end up doing this, like I said, within 12 months of separation, sometimes even sooner or sometimes after they've already separated and I wouldn't say it's too late, but now... Well, that blows my mind yeah. that people do that. <laughs> oh, we see it all the time. Rob, I think she, I think, I think she read your book, Rob. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Actually, uh, it's a lot of the stuff that I cover <laughs> in my book. It, because I went down the same experience as you. Don knows this. I went out and tested the water when he and I were working together and, and found out by submitting resumes. I was this guy with a lot of confidence thinking, you know, I have a lot to offer the civilian workforce. They started looking at my resume and what they saw was a blank piece of paper. You know, they didn't see anything that showed value to that company and how I could be used. And, you know, what you realized early on and very early on is that you've got to provide some kind of self-worth or some kind of value to the civilian workforce. And that means you're going to have to gain experience. That means you're going to have to change your total career path that you're on right now in order to do that. And again, Mike knows what we're talking about because he's wrote a lot of stuff on LinkedIn as well about this very same subject. So many people think they're going to get out, and uh, they've done some really cool things in the military, particularly with our background, and, and you know, the jobs are just going to line up for them. And and I think that, you know, 2003, 2004, uh, that was true, uh, and it's happened in the past. I remember in, in the late 90s when, when people were very marketable getting out, and, and especially like young captains and master sergeants could, could land six-figure incomes doing things like risk analysis. Uh, that nobody knew how to do at the time, and the military had kind of pioneered. Uh, but today is very different. And if you're not willing to change, you're not willing to get the education that you need uh, and work just like a, an entry level member of an organization, you're not gonna you're not gonna have the same success. 
Exactly. So but I, I want to know about this hamburger you had yesterday. I hate to steer the conversation because I just don't <laughs> in. I've been thinking about those hamburgers ever since I saw them. They're amazing. <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> I've been following Fiona on Instagram for a while, and it's all fitness. And I'm like, this chick is fit. She eats healthy. She's jacked like steel all the time. And then I see this big monster hamburger. One, I think, stacked in bacon. And the other with a big fried egg on top. And I'm like, that's that's my kind of breakfast right there. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Yeah, no, Black, Black Sheep Burger, Springfield, Missouri. If, you ever, uh, if you're ever in the area, I definitely recommend stopping there. Are you at Fort Leonard Wood? I am. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> it's like my fourth or fifth time coming out here, and it doesn't really? get better. <laughs> I started there in 1986, and... I went back in 2007 and spoke at my son's basic training graduation, and the barracks were exactly the same. Uh, the whole training side of the post hadn't changed at all. Nothing had evolved. And I'm like, wow, this is exactly like I remembered it. They have quite a few new buildings over on the basic training side. Like The whole MP side is brand new now, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that you're at Fort Leonard Wood. And uh, you're surrounded by St. Robert and Waynesville, Missouri. <laughs> I understand. I, I, again, I hadn't been back. It had been 20, 24, 25 years before I went back there. Yeah, still pretty much in Tornado Alley, too, isn't it? Speaking of tornadoes, we actually, in the last couple of weeks, had like three. <laughs> yeah, that's not an unusual thing there. No, the, the weather never knows what it's doing. So tell us what exactly is going to happen after you finish the training. And then how do you see that applying to what you saw within USA Jobs of what they're looking for in the private sector? So as I explained a little bit before, we graduate at the end of March. And then when we arrive at our next duty stations, we'll be completing that one-year apprenticeship period, during which time you're evaluated every month by your team chief and then your SAC, that is the special agent in charge of your office. And then from there, you're going to be assigned to a specific team. Um, depending on what office you go to, they tend to rotate you through the different teams just to get used to working with other people and then to get used to the specific nuances to those different types of investigations that you'll be conducting. And then from there, each type of investigation, so whether it be economic or drugs or special victims, there are specific courses that you can go to to expand upon your knowledge base. Um, because the CID school is really just an overview of everything. Then after that, there's those follow-on schools that you can attend to gain, you know, just more knowledge on those particular subjects. And uh, special victims, as an example, you get um, an additional skill identifier if you've completed all of the courses pertaining to special victims. Um, like there's a child abuse course, domestic violence and intervention course, things like that. And then even just within CID as a whole, as you progress, um, there's rank requirements, but you can apply to become even more specialized. As an example, you can choose um, to go the polygrapher route and go to polygraphy school and uh, you know become a polygrapher full-time. Then there's the forensic science technician route where you can go to George Mason University and get a master's degree in forensic science and then become the FST for um, your office or for your battalion. There's also the FBI National Academy that you can attend. So there's just additional training and things that you can do that make you more marketable 
within the military and CID itself, but then for a career post-military. No, very cool. So what's your route, CSI? I mean, at this point, I'm not entirely sure. I kind of just want to get in and figure out what my niche is. Everyone kind of ends up having their particular um, niche. As, as an aside, there's also another route, and that's the digital forensic science technician. So like all computers, uh, figuring out you know how to perform forensic analysis of all sorts of digital media. So what led you I to mean, this passion? What was it that kind of got you involved into this whole CID? Because you said you were looking for your passion, and you didn't feel like you were it was being fulfilled in your your role as an MP officer. But what is your passion? Honestly, this is going to sound cheesy, but serving others is really what it boils down to. That's what we do here. <laughs> Not cheesy at all. <laughs> Joining the Army was the first logical step. Like, all right, how can I contribute to society? I grew up near West Point, so that seemed like a logical choice. My father was in the military. Another logical choice for me. Um, so, I mean, you can ask my parents. You can ask all of my friends growing up. Like, I have always wanted to either join the Army or be a cop. But then when I joined the Army... I just, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was contributing like I wanted to. And honestly, like when I first made the decision, like I'm going to do this, uh, I honestly didn't realize what impact investigators have on people. And it's, it's not that I want to have an impact on people. It's more just like, I want to help people. And again, it's going to sound cheesy, but I mean, what better way to help than to assist in investigating heinous crimes committed against helpless people, you know, children, adults, like doesn't matter who, but if they're at that point in their life where they can no longer speak for themselves, their families want answers and there's nothing that they can do. They need someone to work on their behalf to discover the truth and ultimately hold those suspects responsible if they in fact committed that crime. So, I mean, I, I learned more about it along the way, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I've been looking for my whole life. And I know it's going to be really difficult, and that I'm probably going to question, like, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? But I just need to keep reminding myself of why I wanted to do this to begin with. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my dog. Oh, <laughs> I was muted. It wasn't me. <laughs> Yeah, so you must have watched this old Jack Reacher film and everything, Fiona, oh and got uh, totally, you know, into that. So it's really funny that you say that because I actually just watched Jack Reacher oh. for the first time last night. <laughs> Which one, the first one or the second one? So we rented the second one, but I hadn't yet seen the first one. So we went back, watched the first one, and tonight we're going to watch the second one. See, you kind of look like the badass chick that was along with him there in the second one. I don't know. There's a lot of inaccuracies within the movie. Oh, see, that's what's always no. wonderful, too, is watching no, this. No way. No way. No way. Major well, I, can't, I can't watch, I can't watch movies like that. Oh, it drives me insane every time they do the whole military stuff on movies. Oh, man. It's, it's laughable. It but, is. Yeah. yeah. Makes for a good movie. <laughs> it does, yeah. So, I mean, the whole sir, yes, sir stuff. It's like, no, you got the Army. It's not the Marine Corps. Let's get the sayings correct here, you know. They or didn't... just addressing people, Major, come over here. Yeah, right. Well, oh, they, don't do... that. they don't do that, Fiona? I don't know. I, I, Don, you were a Major, right? Do they do that? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> We've heard a little bit about what your passion was and everything or what got you into this whole field. 
So what was the thought process that kind of came into this? And was it driven by friends or family or something like that that got you thinking about your future? Or was it just something that came to mind of, you know what, I need to start thinking about what's going to happen to me 10, 15, 20 years down the line? So um, I've always been a long-term planner. It's really hard for me to live in the present. So, I mean, it's got its advantages and drawbacks for sure. I feel but, your pain. Like I said, yeah. always been a long-term planner, always looking ahead, like what can I do next? Where can I go next? What's next? And uh, I will say that becoming a parent unexpectedly and at a young age kind of really hammered home the whole, all right, I need to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my life and how I'm going to provide for myself and my child in the long term. And I didn't want to find myself getting out of the military with those same marketable marketable skills as everyone else, really. I mean, again, dime a dozen. And take something, settle. I didn't want to settle for something in the long term. I wanted to have my options open. I don't know. Like I said, it's a blessing and a curse not being able to like live in the present, just take it for what it is. But it's worked out for me so far. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you are living in the present. I mean, change is part of, of evolution, right? I think if you stay in one place too long, you get stagnant. And that's the great thing I, I, that I remember of being in the military. You're only there for, you know, three or four years until you hit 10th group and then you're for like 25. But I, for the most part, you're only there for, for a few years at a time. And then you, you move to a new location. You meet new friends. The job changes. You come back. You got a different job. A lot of people don't understand that. I mean, people that my old friends and, and heck my parents, you, you know, they graduated high school, they got a job in a factory and they did that until they could retire from it. And that to me, that sucks. So yeah. planning for the future, I think is fantastic. I mean, and the fact that you're doing it so young, uh, is only going to set you up when you, when you get to be, you know, as old as Robert there. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the beauty too, though, is that like Mike saying is that you, not only did you figure it out young and everything and that you realize that the military has a lot to offer inside itself, but that's one of the things that I love too about serving within the military is that even if you stick within the same branch, you can end up changing to, to a new assignment, like say a three shop, or you can come out of and go to a command position or as an NCO, a, a line unit and everything and, and lead in kind of a command type of role. And you can go back to a staff type of role as well, or you can go to a, a training role or recruiting duty or drill sergeant duty. There's so many different things that you can do do within that same MOS to change things up, to give you a new sense of purpose and a new life and, and keep you going. And that's the reason why I end up staying as long as I did. And probably these guys as well is because we end up finding something to help drive us to the next, you know, as George would say in the last podcast to the next telephone pole, you know, and once you get past the next telephone post to the next telephone pole. So and each one of those jobs that I had, I think it just kept being fun. And, and I, I told myself a long time ago that when it stopped being fun, that I'd stop doing it. I'd go find something else that was fun. And, and I think uh, I think that's a great way to look at it. If, if you're not having fun in what you're doing and you have the opportunity to change that, I'll, occasionally the military offers that. The owner, they offered you the opportunity. I got the opportunity to do that when I went to selection. And that completely changed my outlook on the Army. So I, I would have gotten out of the Army, you know, in the mid-90s had I not, you know, gone to SFAS and, and made it to 10th group. So I, I think that a lot of people don't have the opportunities that we've been given this way. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. I will say, and I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit biased, but on the officer side anyway, I would argue that those opportunities don't really start to present themselves 
until you're KD complete. So until you've completed your command time, the fellowships, the FBI Academy, all of those unique opportunities, that's when they start really presenting themselves. And that's when you have, you know, the opportunity to really take advantage of them. Um, I would argue that on the enlisted side, there may be even more opportunities to kind of like find that field that you're passionate about. Mm Um, with officers, we're expected and we are generalists. So you're expected to be able to kind of just fill a role and learn that role. And that's your role. You're, you're not really pigeonholing yourself into a specific field, so to speak. And I didn't want to keep me personally, I didn't want to keep going into like those admin roles or, you know, planning and, and things like that. I, I really just wanted to like go into investigations, which sounds like I'm pigeonholing myself, but within the field of investigations, there's just so much more there available to me. And I'm no longer this generalist. I'm now a specialist in my field. And I don't know, that's what really drove me. In the officer side, it was, as you went into a job to do, as soon as you got comfortable with figuring out what you were doing, you were already in a new position. No, I absolutely agree with you. That's how I felt about my platoon leader time. Like once I finished my platoon leader time and I like moved out of the position, there were so many things I was like, man, like I really wish I had known that. Like when I first started out, I would have been so much more successful or like at the end of it, when I was finally like in the groove of things, like, you know, cruising along, having a great time. That's Wes when, you know, I, I moved. <laughs> I, I think in hindsight, nobody likes to hear this, but because I'm almost as old as Robert, I can offer this, uh, this is, <laughs> This, this perspective is that that's a good thing about what we do in the military. You know, when I was on a team, I never wanted to leave a team. When I was a team sergeant, I never wanted it to end. When I was a company sergeant major, I never wanted that to end. When I was a battalion CSM, I didn't want that to end. And ultimately, you look back, and, and over the course of a longer period of time, I, I think that the, the people I came in contact with and the relationships that I built and the organizations that I had the opportunity to influence provided me a much better perspective on what it was to be a leader and how it is to impact people. I, I refined my leadership style over the course of about 10 years to where, you know, what I'm doing now, I've got so much experience working with people that I can draw experiences in. And, and I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, Robert, I'm, I'm doing stuff every day where stories come out from 25 years ago that I didn't even remember I, I, w- I, would, I was doing. Somebody will ask me a question or a slide will pop up in something that I'm lecturing and a story comes out. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because I come home and I talk about it to Beth. But, you know, I think the constant change, as painful as it is when you leave your platoon leader time or, or your, your company command time, or for me, the, 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 the positions that I, I talked about, man, in, in, in retrospect, when you're retired and you look at that, it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. The fact that you're just now remembering this, Mike, is because it's that old age sign that you keep picking on me about. I've had a glass of whiskey tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Go ahead, Don. I agree with that, too. And that is, you know, when you look back on it, again, when it was almost to the fact, what, Mike, what you're talking about is, you know, when I got to 20 years and they're like, well, how people would ask, how long are you going to stay? Well, I'm going to stay till it's no longer fun or until till something else comes up. And and each and every day, it was a new experience. It was something new, but you still felt like you were contributing. You were mentoring. You were doing something, and so hence the extra eight years. That's right. Well, and I can remember. That's for, for me. 
Well, I can remember when you were getting command time and you were going over to Afghanistan, Don, and you wanted to be able to have that command time in Afghanistan, and that was very important to you. So that was another yet hurdle that you were going through as you were getting ready to pin on major, and there were certain mm-hmm. things that you wanted to accomplish within your career, and I think that very much mirrors what you're talking about, Fiona, and things that you want to do within your career to gain the knowledge to make yourself more valuable to the marketplace as you get out. What I'm trying to do from this is talk about having a passion, understanding that things change. Well, and you got to be willing to, I think, change. You got to be willing to seek out whatever you need to make that next step, which so many people aren't willing to do. Right. Because I've seen it, and I, it's the same thing. And without, I, I, let me let me relate it to. I'll kind of tell the story again, and then I'll relate it back to you, Fiona. But so I had several captains who had come through the special forces qualification course, worked underneath us. And at the end of their team leader time, like I'm done, I'm going to, I'm going to terminate my commission to be a staff sergeant. And I'm like, no, you're an idiot. You're not going to do that Uh, because you have too much, you have too much training. You have too much to to contribute. And if I was your company sergeant major, you would never ever see an A team again because you you have too much that you can offer at a different level. I I mean, a staff sergeant comes in and we train him to do one thing. We train him to train guys to shoot, to train tactics and to fix guns. You have this skill set that I can put to use in so many different ways. I'll use you in an embassy. doesn't matter what you're getting paid. And unlike you, they don't see the evolution of what they have to do to change into something that they can contribute at at their level. And I don't mean at a level of rank. I mean at, at a level of competence. So, you know, here, here's a guy that I'm not happy. I don't want to be on the S3, in the S3 shop. I don't want to be a plans officer. I don't want to wait three or four years to get company command. So, and I get that. I mean, I get the time, you know, you get, you know, you're in command and in staff forever. But the idea that we put a lot of resources into you just to go back and fix guns is unrealistic when you can contribute at a much higher level. Now, I'll punt it to you and you can talk about more, maybe what you've been doing and help Robert wrap this up. (laughs) What what was the question for me? I forget it. (laughs) So, I, I was just... My rant was about these captains who, who, who want to perform at a lower level. We've trained them. We've done a lot. We put a lot of effort into them, particularly academy grads. Uh, and they see that at a certain point in their career, man, the future isn't what I thought it was going to be. So they want to make a change. And the change that I've seen them try to make is to go to a lower level. The, the change that I see you trying to make is to go to a higher level in a specialized area. So uh, in this whole process, a lot of what we've been getting is we've never seen commission officers resign their commissions to go warrant. Like, this is a whole new thing. And what we keep saying is, actually, no, this has happened before. And not only does it happen in the aviation community, but it happens on the special forces side as well. All the time. All the time. Yeah. That uh, not only do they resign their commissions to perhaps go enlisted, which, man, that's, that's a step. But um, but more typically on onto the warrant officer side to become like a I guess a team warrant is what you guys would have. Jeez. Now, I've got a good friend of mine who was one of the company commanders that we had when I was the command sergeant major in Lebanon, uh, who resigned commission as a warrant officer back on a team now. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what people will typically see. And um, we had when I was at Fort Lee, we had the opportunity to do, to do a training exercise. For them, it was a pre-deployment training exercise with third group. Um, one of their companies came up. And I was talking to their warrant, uh, to their warrant about it, and he was like, "Yeah, people do it all the time because you know they just they don't want to leave like that team aspect 
and go off, like you said, to go into the S3 shop, you know, catching dust in a cubicle. <laughs> I understand. I, I, I would say that in our branch, warrant officers are a little bit different than in other branches. Looking at the opportunity to take somebody who's post command as a major, potentially promotable to lieutenant colonel, and make make that individual a, a warrant officer, man, what he can contribute, you know, as, a, as both an ODA warrant and as a company ops warrant. Taking that the other direction, going further back, like we were talking about, to being a staff sergeant, I think is lunacy. I don't know. A lot of people think that myself and my classmates are crazy for what we're doing. Because to, Economic to clarify suicide. any misconceptions, because the big question that we get is, oh my gosh, but the pay. And no, we are not getting saved pay. No. <laughs> but we are not in it for the money. I mean, if money is all we cared about, we'd I mean, definitely see see it out on the commission side, but <laughs> yeah, that's pretty obvious that you're not going for the money. You know, going that's why I went into teaching because the pay is so great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why everybody's <laughs> beating down the doors to on the waiting list. <laughs> so Fiona, thanks for coming on. I think the key message here is to understand that life's going to throw you curveballs, and it's how you react to that to be able to, better your career and better yourself for a post-military service and the transition that will eventually happen. And I think that's the key takeaway here from this podcast. So thank you again so much for coming on. Appreciate you taking time out of your training there that you're going through and best of luck to you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, this is like a whole new opportunity on the CID side. And while I'm in no way, shape or form speaking for CID or for the Army in general, it is a relatively new program and they have put it out again. They're running a whole nother cycle looking for applicants right now to go through in about a year from now. So the opportunity is out there and I'm I'm sure there's other people who, who would want to know that as well. Most definitely. I think, I think it's a great opportunity. I mean, if you're in my position where you're looking to fulfill your passion and to help other people, this is the best way to do it. Yeah, I think it's a little bit crazy, but that's okay. As long as you're okay with it, Fiona, that's what's important. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, somehow I think it's all going to pan out okay for you. At least I hope it is. You're almost done now, right? You only have a couple more weeks? Yeah, just a couple more weeks. And uh, as I mean, you know, there's road bumps along the way, especially on the administrative side, but hey, they'll, they'll clear themselves out. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Check out our apparel line over at mentorsformilitary.com backslash shop. Many of those you can wear while you're in your uniform, the proceeds of which go towards helping us produce this podcast. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.